Betty Davis smokes in bed. That's and she it? lit up that cigarette in bed. <laughs> I was like, ooh, that's not, that won't fly these days. Hi, and welcome to episode of Center Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here at Center Nation, we like discussing genre and delving into genre history the tropes of a genre and we like spending kind of a whole month on a specific genre and kind of just discussing it and analyzing it and breaking it down and for the month of june we've been looking at theater movies and our last episode we kind of established the genre and established the basic tropes of it and the history of it and for these next two episodes we're going to be taking two films and looking at them and seeing how they hold up against the stuff we set up for the last episode. And so for this episode, uh, we're talking about a more classic film. And the next episode, we're talking about contemporary film with Birdman. But today, we're going to talk about the 1950 film, All About Eve. But first, let's kind of recap on our last episode. Uh, Thomas, like, when, mm-hmm. what are the tropes and the stories of the theater genre? that we discussed uh we talked about kind of the idea of a of a diva um actress or actor we 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 talked about a couple of films that that uh that specifically showed it as a as a male actor but for the most part um we found that especially the older hollywood films kind of negatively uh portrayed women as like the the diva on set the um you know the big ego the difficult to get along with um we talked and then kind of going along with that we talked about seeing the the like diva at the at the or or just any actress at the the height of their careers being challenged by an up-and-coming actor and um kind of the rise and fall of of the two uh, in the same time usually yeah yeah the the, the rise and the fading star and the rising star um that kind of was established in like 42nd street and kind of continued with opening night and 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 all about Eve, I think, is kind of the I mean, the quintessential battle between a older star and a younger star. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we talked about the idea of like the third act um, showing some of the production, which is which is going to be absent in this film. But it is. Uh, yeah, we'll talk but, about that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And then just like the idea of putting on a show uh, and kind of the group of outcasts, which I think this kind of has a little bit of that but not as much this feels more like an elite version of that if that makes sense mm-hmm. because we're not really focusing on any of the lower characters in terms of theater we're focusing more on like the actors the the writer director producer um but yeah so but it is still very like insular it's the, yes. the whole movie takes place within this production with with really like one outsider um yeah as far as like the main characters go yeah exactly um, but it's kind of become it's it won a bunch of Oscars when it when it was released in 1950, and some argue it's one of the greatest movies of all time. We'll we'll I guess kind of discuss that. But yeah, so what is all about Eve about? Uh, so it's about a uh, a very famous actress, uh, Margot Channing, played by Betty Davis, who um, is introduced to a fan of hers named uh, Eve by uh her best friend who is also the wife of the playwright and mm-hmm. e- and margo's uh boyfriend is the director and she and the playwright and the playwright's wife they're all a very tight-knit group yeah um, of the four of them 
and Eve is kind of brought into the group as Margot's kind of assistant. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she, she, she tells them this whole story about how she was widowed at a young age and she's kind of at this turning point in her life. She's left home and she, all she wants to do is follow Margot. Margot inspired her to, to take a, make a change in her life and, uh, yeah. and becomes kind of works herself into this group. And as the movie goes on, we start to really question uh, who Eve is and what Eve's motivations are as she yeah. starts to kind of turn from this really wide-eyed innocent to someone that we start to realize is very calculated and scheming. And, to, and, and very ambitious. Yeah, to, to yeah. take Margot's career, if not to completely take Margot's identity. Yeah, so uh, if you haven't seen the movie spoilers um yeah this is this whole episode is about one movie so <laughs> you're gonna we're gonna talk about some stuff uh you can rent it on amazon prime correct because that's what you had to do yeah yeah i think um, it's available to rent on like all major yeah. platforms yeah uh and they just recently redid it remastered it for criterion which mm-hmm. surprisingly now on the criterion channel don't know why um but yeah so yeah all about eve kind of the cast we kind of you kind of brought up people i think the one character we didn't talk about was addison who is a, a theater critic who is kind of the outside voice of the group, um, but is somewhat attached to the group. But you have Betty Davis as Margot Channing. And at that point before the film, uh, when she got on the film, she was, she was just coming out of contract with Warner brothers, been working for Warner brothers for 17 years. And she kind of like thought her career was like over. This was essentially like the resurrection of her career. She uh, took the role two weeks before filming is what happened. Uh, And we'll talk about that in alternate universe cast, but two weeks before filming, she takes the role and she, this is essentially kind of establishes her as a freelance actress at this point. Um, Ann Baxter, who plays Eve was coming off a Oscar win in 1947 for the razor's edge, best supporting actress. And she was, I think, 27 at the time of the film, 27, 28. And then you have uh, the kind of the big person is Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who was the writer-director. He was coming off uh, an Oscar win for Best Director and Best Screenplay for A Letter to Three Wives, which was also a 20th Century Fox movie. And so All About Eve kind of came about from a a, a short story that they, um, they optioned, but quickly um what are your quick initial thoughts about this movie i loved it it's um it's really sharp and it, yeah uh, like the dialogue is incredible just the entire time it's just a bunch of people like cutting each other down constantly so if that's the kind of thing you like i think you'd <laughs> this is for enjoy you this. and i do love i i love you know when we were talking about the kind of tropes of the genre at the beginning it's wild that by 1950 this movie was already able to play against those tropes because this, yeah. the, what we talked about kind of the the uh, the diva and the rise and fall of of the 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 star and the rising star this is all like the antithesis of that this is all kind of takes everything that you your preconceived notions of that and like flips it on you yeah um and i i love that i love the way it kind of plays your expectations of margo against you um yeah, because you're. It's interesting when looking. It's it's like the middle ground of uh, the character in Forty Second Street mm-hmm. and Opening Night because Forty Second Street, you have a character who, 
I can't remember the character's name, but it's the it's the it's the older not, and she's not even aging. It's just she's the older actress who's kind of at the top of her game, and she decides to kind of like leave at the very end to uh, marry her old vaudeville partner. But she just like gives it up. I'm a, I'm not going to act anymore. I'm going to marry and have a kid. And then you have opening night, which is about Jenna Rollins basically fighting the idea of her aging, and Margot is kind of in the middle. She's mm-hmm. trying to find a common ground to essentially have that personal life that they get in 42nd Street, but also still have a career in some way. Yeah, and, and she very early on clocks Eve as a as not necessarily a threat, but just as like something is off. Something is off yeah. with Eve, which I think I think looking back on it now, we could definitely say that Eve is either a sociopath or a psychopath, one of the two. Yeah. Um, but she she identifies it very early on, and everyone kind of shrugs it off as her being a diva. You know, yeah. she she's she says there's there's something going on with this girl, and everyone around her is like, oh, you're just threatened because you're 45 and she's 22 or whatever age Eve is supposed to be, and and so it's it you know by by 1950 it's 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 great that that it, they were able to kind of take those preconceived notions about um, you know what what the negative stereotypes of a diva were and say like hey this is how you she can't win margot can't win in this movie essentially because everyone is is expecting when when she's hit this age everyone is expecting her to start acting out so when she really needs people to like listen to her they won't (laughs) and so she kind of finds a way to like let me put this in my own hands and control the situation by the end of the movie yeah yeah it's it's you know you wouldn't expect I mean, and this this is just one of the things with like titling movies. You know, you're going into a movie called All About Eve. You expect Eve to be the main character, but but and Eve yeah. hasn't Eve has an arc here, but it's Margot who we see like learn and change and and learn more about herself throughout. Yeah, it's like Mar Margot is kind of it's interesting. Margot's the lead character through most of it. It kind of takes a little bit of a turn at the very end, is what it feels like, where it becomes mostly uh, Eve. But yeah, so the film was based on a short story, as I said, called The Wisdom of Eve, which it was like a three-page short story in Cosmopolitan, and Joseph Mankiewicz read it because he was working on a script about aging actress, and when he read the story, he's like, I feel like adding like a young ingenue would help with the conflict of the story, so he told Daryl Zanuck, who was the producer, to option the rights, and he combined the two stories. Um, funny enough... The short story was based on a real event. Uh, the author had heard uh, the author Mary Orr based the story on this actress uh, Elizabeth Bergner, who once said she had an obsessed fan who became her assistant, and she mm-hmm. soon realized there was more to this woman than what she initially thought. Didn't fully take her take her life over, but it was like the the uh, author Mary Orr kind of took that as like the basis and like ran with it. Mary Orr did not receive on-screen credit for the film, however, and she still held the rights to the story for other mediums, which when the movie was adapted into a musical called Applause, it was based on her short story, not the initial movie. And as the the movie as the as the musical was going into production, Warner Bros later hopped on or uh, Fox later hopped on and gave rights to use it. So it was like a weird like it wasn't based on the movie, but then it became based on the movie. But there's like no references really to the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like a weird kind of um, concoction of it all. So that's kind of how it got made. And like I said, Bay Davis hops on two weeks before filming. 
and essentially kind of basically is probably her most known role, I would say, is this film. And arguably, some might say her greatest role. Um, so real quick, what what are some of your favorite parts of this movie? I, I mean, I love the party scene. It's it's iconic. It's one of the, the most famous movie quotes of all time. And also just, and, and I think um, it was in Roger Ebert's review, it was just like uh, Marilyn Monroe's in this movie for maybe four minutes tops. And yeah. she just steals every scene that she's in. It, it's, you know, this was, this was very early in her career and it was just so obvious right then, you know, what, what potential she had. Yeah. Um, and, and she, she nails the like dry humor of this, this she does. movie completely. Basically comes in as like George Sanders, who plays Addison, the, the critic comes in as his date. And mm-hmm. essentially George Sand Addison is setting her up with the producer at uh that's that's doing the play age in the wood which is uh margot channing's play and it's just the scene of when she's like why are they all why are they look like look like so unhappy rabbits is the line i believe is what she said and george mm-hmm. like, go make her, go make him happy and she mm-hmm. just like in one second turns on the charm to go deal with this guy and yeah it essentially it, it establishes the Marilyn monroe kind of persona at this point she was she did this movie in 1950 and she's also in the asphalt jungle by john hughes in the same year so it was definitely uh it was definitely kind of the be- beginning of her career also i was going to say this for later but i'll say it now last time she used her actual vo- voice in a movie because hmm. she kind of had like her like, i mean it's it's still kind of that, that like breathy um pinup voice that we're, we're used to for her but it, you could you could definitely hear it like evolving like she's yes. working on it Another scene I really loved. I, I love Celeste Holm in this as um as Karen, yeah. the the, uh, the best friend, Margot's best friend. But she's also kind of like she's the one who who discovered Eve. So she, for a lot of the movie, she kind of considers herself a champ, Eve's champion. Yes. Um, and I really love she she has two great scenes: one with Margot and one with Eve. The the scene when she's in the car with Margot and they yeah. kind of talk about what Margot wants out of her career and and kind of balancing being a, you know having a career with with being a a woman but also just being like a human being being famous yeah. and, and also trying to be a, a person um and then i she's fantastic she's got a scene with eve when she, she so eve has has kind of spoken ill of margo in the news and everyone is like turned against her um and but then she she invites karen up to like talk to her about it and apologize and karen goes in like it's it's Celeste Holm is fantastic in this scene. Like she goes in ready to just shrug her off. And then you just see how manipulative Eve is. She completely yeah. wins her over again. And she's like, Oh, you, Oh, what was I thinking? This is just an innocent young girl. And then by the end of the scene, she realizes even more so yeah. how manipulative Eve is. And it all like comes back around and her, her moment of like realization that like, wow, not only was I right about you being a snake, you were, you were, an evil genius i think that's the scene where it really nails it home that eve is a manipulative person hmm. like there's kind of doubts beforehand and maybe it's just this young girl playing actress if that makes sense and then that's the same like oh wait this was all planned out and she had and she will do whatever she can to be in the spotlight you want to play cora you want me to tell lloyd i think you should play it if you told him so, he'd give me the part. He said he would. After all you've said, 
Don't you know that part was written for Margot? It might have been 15 years ago. It's my part now. You talk just as Addison said you did. Cora is my part. You've got to tell Lloyd it's for me. I don't think anything in the world would make me say that. Addison wants me to play it. Over my dead body. That won't be necessary. Addison knows how Margot happened to miss that performance. How I happened to know she'd miss it in time to call him and notify every paper in town. It's quite a story. Addison could make quite a thing of it. Imagine how snide and vicious he could get and still tell nothing but the truth. I had a time persuading him. You better sit down. You look a bit wobbly. If I play Cora, Addison will never tell what happened, in or out of print. A simple exchange of favors. I'm so happy I can do something for you at long last. Your friendship with Margot. Your deep, close friendship. What would happen to it, do you think, if she knew the cheap trick you'd played on her for my benefit? You and Lloyd. How long, even in the theater, before people forgot what happened and trusted you again? No. It'd be so much easier for everyone concerned if I were to play Cora. So much better theater, too. A part in a play. You do all that just for a part in a play. I do much more for a part that good. One of my favorite scenes that you talked about was the, the car scene. And Margot and Karen are, are discussing the career, but also kind of uh, discussing what it is to be a woman is the other interesting thing. We're talking about the one common job that all women have is being a woman. And it's interesting th looking about it in context of coming off World War II a few years before when women were in the workforce and then when the, when the men came back home, it was like, okay, now go off and go back to being a woman of cooking and cleaning and taking care of the family. And Margot's kind of talking about this in that speech of like, that's the one thing we have in common is that a woman, and they talk about this is like, a woman should have a man. That's what makes a woman a woman is that a man is by her side and she is taking care of that man. And she is kind of conflicted, it feels like, of is that what she really wants to do? It's like she wants it, but she doesn't want to give up the career she has. Like I said, she's trying to find that common ground of, can I be considered, a, can I marry a man, have, do my woman duties, but also have a career, which is what it feels like a lot of women at that time were probably facing coming after World War II is that, hey, can I continue to work and not just go back to the kitchen? And that's weirdly kind of, it's not, it's, it's very subtle, it feels like, but that's like the conversation that they're having in the car. Mm. About Eve, I've acted pretty disgracefully toward her, too. Well, don't fumble for excuses. Not here and now with my hair down. At best, let's say I've been oversensitive to her. Well, to the fact that she's so young, so feminine and so helpless. To so many things I want to be for Bill. Funny business, a woman's career. The things you drop on your way up the ladder so you can move faster. You forget you'll need them again when you get back to being a woman. 
It's one career all females have in common, whether we like it or not, being a woman. Sooner or later, we've got to work at it, no matter how many other careers we've had or wanted. And in the last analysis, nothing's any good unless you can look up just before dinner or turn around in bed. And there he is. Without that, you're not a woman. You're something with a French provincial office or a, a book full of clippings. But you're not a woman. Slow curtain, the end. And then uh, the party scene is kind of just the big the big midpoint. I don't know if it's the midpoint, but it's the big set piece. Yeah, and it's it's when Margot really, like, oh, you've seen her kind of grow more, like, passive-aggressive towards Eve, but it's it's when Margot really starts... She's, she, I think right before the party, she first, like, expresses herself to her, her concerns to, to her, um, to Bill, her boyfriend, and and he, like, shoots them down. And so then it just, the, the hostility just, like, grows and grows and grows throughout the night. And yeah. I think that's, she's, Betty Davis is, is incredible in that scene. And then, of course, there's the, the line when they, before the party started, the guests are about to arrive. And, and um, is it Bill who says, like, is your tantrum over? Are you done now? And she I says. Think, I think Karen says it. Karen says it, yeah. And, and she says, fashion your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night, which is, I think AFI named it, like, one of the top 100 movie quotes of all time. The general atmosphere is very Macbethish. What has or is about to happen? What is he talking about? Macbeth. We know you. We've seen you like this before. Is it over or is it just beginning? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. When talking about this kind of fading star, and we're talking about how she is the, she's kind of the first one to accept it, and that's the conversation the kitchen goes, oh, I've turned 40 a few months ago. Oh, 40. And then she's like, I feel naked just saying it. It's like she's realizing that she's she's that her career, like in, in her industry, her career's over. Yeah, well, she's also it's it's a it's a unique take on, on that. You know, the, the aging star as well. Not just we, we've talked about it being a unique take on like the diva, but it's a unique take on the idea of the aging star too because nobody is nobody is trying to age her out right now no like, she's still actively being offered roles and she's she still feels at the peak of her career it's just that she's hitting a point in her career when she's starting to contemplate her own career so it's it's never really that like 42nd street kind of thing where it's like i can't go on this person has to go on yeah this is the end of me like she ne margo never really has that moment her, her career's still doing fine by the end. It's it's really yeah. like up to her. Like, does she want her career to keep going at this point? Well, I think it's because that character's so intelligent that she's trying to stay ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. Is that she doesn't want to be a 45, 50 year old trying to play the ingenue roles. Right. She's trying to find a way to transition into I play I mean, essentially a Meryl Streep type, if that mm -hmm. makes sense, where she's playing aged roles yes but still complex and, and conflicted characters it's like this is the one thing in hollywood at that point i'm reading a little bit on natalie wood like one of her biographies and talking about how like when she was a young kid and she got older and she was starting to be in her teens her mother kept trying to make her look like a young kid with pigtails and 
and just like she wasn't for she's try, basically trying to play eight years old but she was 14 years old and it mm-hmm. was a weird it, it it was almost like depressing to see and that she wasn't in her she wasn't fitting in her own skin and it, in comparison that with margo it feels like she's trying to stay ahead of that of i don't want to be like i said the, the older woman who was done playing young roles years ago and she wants to stay in the conversation of being a great actress and she's just trying to find the right time to switch and i think the show that she's currently doing fits her fits her age more and the show that is coming up that the playwright is writing for her next is still one of those younger roles mm-hmm. and that's when i think she ends up deciding towards the end of like hey i'm going to stay doing this show for a bit and you go cast someone else because she realizes it's like she's that one step away from the next play she does. The critics are saying she's too old to be playing these roles. And she's trying to stay ahead of that. But she she's just very self-aware. And the comparison piece is Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. which came out the same year. And you have the aging star that's aware of her situation. And then you have an aging star in Norma Desmond, Gloria Swanson, who's not aware of her situation. How's the new one coming? The play? Oh, all right, I guess. Cora, still a girl of 20. 20 is just not important. Don't you think it's about time it became important? How do you mean? Don't be evasive. Margot, you haven't got any age. Miss Channing is ageless. Spoken like a press agent. I know what I'm talking about. After all, they're my plays. Spoken like an author. Lloyd, I'm not 20-ish. I'm not 30-ish. Three months ago, I was 40 years old. 40. 4 <laughs> That slipped out. I hadn't quite made up my mind to admit it. Now I suddenly feel as if I've taken all my clothes off. Week after week, to thousands of people, you're as young as you want. As young as they want, you mean. I'm not interested whether thousands of people think I'm six or six hundred. Just one person, isn't that so? You know what this is all about, don't you? It has very little to do with whether you should play Cora. It has everything to do with the fact that you've had another fight with Bill. Bill's 32. He looks 32. He looked at five years ago. He'll look at 20 years from now. I hate men. Any more favorite scenes besides those? I mean, there, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the other like really iconic scene is um is towards the end between Eve and Addison when he like completely yeah. exposes her. <laughs> George Sanders. I really I don't know how people have seen his movies, but George Sanders, a, a, a great character actor at the time, he's popped in a few films I love called Hangover Square, uh, The Lodger. I think he was in The Black Swan, which was a pirate movie, not the Natalie Portman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just he just goes off. Yeah, it's this moment like you you recognize that he he sees that she's like hit this point where she's she's really starting to like the, the her, her machinations are really starting to yeah. like get out of hand, and he's just like, you know what? I know all of this about you. Here we go. Like I was, I was willing, I was willing to let you go, but it's, it's getting kind of, it's getting kind of crazy. 
don't don't step to me here's everything that i know about you i could ruin you and it's and it's it's seeing her lose her cool for the first time too yeah because she's she's just been so in character as this like wide-eyed innocent the whole time and, and everything that she's done has been like according to plan the only time we've the only time we've really seen her plan drop for a second is when she tries to um seduce bill and and he shuts her down and we very briefly see her like smash her like try and try and rip her wig and then she gets interrupted but we, we start to see her go out of control and um and this and, and he just like brings it all out of her and just starts listing off all the lies that he knows about and yeah. it's amazing and he's been building it up since he since like the first performance because mm-hmm. he because he asked her when she's like in the like when she's in the bathroom like oh what was your husband's name again what was uh what, what are your parents names oh where did you work at oh what was the theater called that that uh margo was performing in in san francisco yeah it's that he just like and he's saving it all up for later for when he needs them there never was and there never will be another like you well, say something, anything. Congratulations, Skoll. Good work, Eve. What do you take me for? I don't know that I'd take you for anything. Is it possible, even conceivable, that you've confused me with that gang of backward children you play tricks on? That you have the same contempt for me as you have for them? I'm sure you mean something by that, Addison, but I don't know what. Look closely, Eve. It's time you did. I am Addison DeWitt. I'm nobody's fool, least of all yours. I never intended you to be. Yes, you did, and you still do. I still don't know what you're getting at. But right now I want to take my nap. It's important It's important right now that we talk. Killer to killer. Champion to champion. Not with me. You're no champion. You're stepping way up in class. Addison, will you please say what you have to say, plainly and distinctly, and then get out so I can take my nap? Very well, plainly and distinctly. Though I consider it unnecessary, because you know as well as I do what I'm going to say. Lloyd may leave Karen, but he will not leave Karen for you. What do you mean by that? More plainly and more distinctly. I have not come to New Haven to see the play, discuss your dreams, or pull the ivy from the walls of Yale. I've come here to tell you that you will not marry Lloyd or anyone else for that matter, because I will not permit it. What have you got to do with it? Everything. Because after tonight, you will belong to me. Belong? To you? I can't believe my ears. A dull cliché. Belong to you? It sounds medieval. Something out of an old melodrama. So does the history of the world for the past 20 years. And the thing about Mankiewicz's story is that it's just so, like I said, it's so sharp. And the script, I think, really holds up. I, I, I love Sunset Boulevard, and Sunset Boulevard's one of my favorite films. And we'll talk about this maybe towards awards, or like how much, like the Oscars for that year. But it's just two, two great movies about entertainment industry. And two great movies that are like biting towards yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think, well, and and Roger Ebert brought this up that you know Billy Wilder is the stronger director for sure, but but I also think that both movies benefit from like not trying to be the same type of movie whatsoever. I mean, I don't want to say that Sunset Boulevard yeah. is like a horror, but it like borderlines on like gothic, gothic yeah, thriller. Yeah, like it's got it that is. that feeling of like being trapped in this mansion with almost like a monster type of thing. Um, yeah. Whereas this one is much, I mean, it does have this kind of built-in like 
like what is eve capable of kind of thing but they never really push it that far but it, it's 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 got the kind of it's almost got the like biting dialogue of like a screwball comedy before it but played much more for drama yeah but it, it's just so yeah. sharp and fast dialogue just constantly people like one-upping each other and it, it's it's yeah it's really fresh I, you could argue that all about e feels like a more modern story than sunset boulevard yeah. does yeah but sunset boulevard also i would say has always felt less real which which makes it very set in a period it, it's it feels like a like a it's it's like a dark hollywood ghost story um and and all about eve is just trying to be a contemporary drama which which benefits it but I, yeah not saying that that sunset boulevard is hurt in any way by what it does it's just very set in its period in in a good way it, it yeah. has us it, it almost takes place in a different world which makes it like set in that time and place exactly on onset life real quick the night before the first day of shooting betty davis had a huge argument with her husband at the time william sherry it was so bad she burst a blood vessel in her throat which is why the character has a raspy voice the first day she came in with it Mankiewicz like i like that do that for the rest of the film so that's why she has such a like a kind of a smoker's voice in mm -hmm. a way and she shot all of her scenes in 16 days really which is pretty quick for that time period that's wild yeah <laughs> uh, and especially for the lead um Marilyn monroe was incredibly nervous on set and it took her 11 takes to do the scene with betty davis after monroe's like audition scene monroe mm -hmm. has has a has a a table or a reading with the producers of age in the wood and she has seen with uh with davis and apparently davis became so upset because monroe didn't know her lines that she yelled at her and because monroe was so nervous uh she ran off set and threw up <laughs> uh after filming betty davis married gary merrill who plays her boyfriend bill sampson mm -hmm. uh he thought uh, and david they were married for 10 years they adopted a baby girl and named her Margot. Wow. And when they divorced, Davis Slayer said, he thought he was marrying Margot. I thought I was marrying B Bill. It wasn't long before he found out that I wasn't Margot and he was certainly not Bill Sampson. <laughs> and it, we, it's weirdly because it kind of mirrors a little bit of the conversation about, I think she says in the car to Karen about how he's he thinks he's like with Margot the star or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's weirdly kind of the same discussion there. Uh, Betty Davis and Celeste Holm, who plays Karen, on-screen best friend, legitimately hated each other during filming and hated each other for the rest of their lives. Oh, no. Davis never spoke highly of her, said she was the worst person on set, and then Holm thought the same about Davis. Apparently, Celeste Holm said she the first day she came into filming, she said good morning, and Betty Davis goes, oh, shit, someone with manners. And for some reason, that just turned her off. <laughs> It was weird. Uh, but however, Davis Howard got along with Ann Baxter and they created a lifelong friendship, which is really the opposite of That's what happened. That's very in the movie. Eve of her. <laughs> Davis had a reputation for hating her female co stars. George Sanders also echoed this sentiment, saying that Davis did not get along with many people, but she got along with Baxter. Also, too, Davis was known to change dialogue and scripts if she, if she like, didn't like the script. 
And Mankiewicz said that she would never do that and was probably the most professional person on set. So it kind of feels like, again, she's in the midst of, she's in, this thing is, what's, what's so, I guess, meta about this movie is that Betty Davis is in the exact same scenario that Margot is in her career. Mm. Is that she has had a list of just unsuccessful films and she realizes if she doesn't make a change and step into those older roles like this, she's not going to have a career. And she always said this is the movie that like saved her career and essentially allowed her to work for years to come. Mm -hmm. What happens after the film? It will ends up getting nominated for 14 Oscar nominations and it's tied for the most ever with two other films. Can you guess the two other films that's tied with, uh, uh, silence of the lambs. No, no. Uh, Titanic. Titanic is one of them. <laughs> oh, wow. There we go. Okay. Um, recent Mad Max Fury Re- Road. No, no, recent, Re- more recent than that. Oh man. Um, like a year should, after that, I believe. I should know this. You should. I, I don't. La La Land. Really? Wow. All About Eve only won six. George Sanders was the only actor that won an Oscar for this movie. Yeah, I was reading. Don't they think uh, Gloria Swanson and, and Betty Davis like split the vote because they were playing so such similar characters? There was that. They believe Gloria Swanson and, and Betty Davis split the vote, but also Ann Baxter. Because Ann Baxter, this is a very Eve move, lobbied to be named best leading actress. Mm-mm, can't do that. And they, be- they and they believe they split the vote. Some went with Baxter, some went with Davis. And they believe that if Baxter would have done supporting, Davis would have won the Oscar for best actress. No, that they should have known. They've got, they've got people now whose job is to know that you can't do that. <laughs> and so essentially, but it was the only film to have four actresses nominated for Oscars. Like the most any film's ever had with four actresses. Because Celeste Holm and Thelma Ritter, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, were nominated for Best Supporting. And then Betty Davis and Baxter were nominated for really? Best Leading. I, I love Thelma Ritter. I don't know that I would have nominated her for this movie. She's not in there that much. Yeah, she she disappears by like middle of Act 2. But she to go on the idea of the fading star and all that, she is... She is basically Margot if Margot doesn't make this change. Because mm-hmm. because she, she says in the, one of the opening scenes, when Margot's getting onto her, when when um, <clears throat> Eve comes in and meets her, Thelma's character, Birdie, is just like, I used to do vaudeville too or whatever. Like, I, I used to close the first half of the show. You know that. Like, I know my business. And she's the only character that really gets Eve like knows what Eve's doing, like from the beginning scene. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she's the one who like turns Margo onto the idea. For yeah. Sure. When Margo, Margo hasn't even noticed until, until Thelma Ritter's character starts bringing it up. Yeah. Cause Margo says, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> do you hate Eve? And Birdie's like, do you want to answer? Or do you want an argument? Mm-hmm. And she goes, I want an answer. No, I don't like her why okay now you want to argue it it's like <laughs> and then she says she's like she's studying you it's like she's and like birdie just gets it right out right at the beginning when even when eve is telling the story of like her dead husband who was fought in the war and uh how she worked long days at the brewery at the very end thelma or uh, birdie just goes 
So when did the bloodhounds come out? It's just something that's like very like she thinks it's a joke, and they're just like, "How dare you? You hurt mm. her feelings." And she's just like, "This girl is lying, mm-hmm. <laughs> and y'all don't know this." Birdie, hmm? you don't like Eve, do you? You want an argument or an answer? An answer. No. Why not? Now you want an argument. She works hard. Night and day. She's loyal and efficient. Like an agent with only one client. She thinks only of me. Doesn't she? Well, let's say she thinks only about you anyway. How do you mean that? I'll tell you how. Like... Like she's studying you. Like it was a play or a book or a set of blueprints. How you walk, talk, eat, think, sleep. I'm sure that's very flattering, Bertie. I'm sure there's nothing wrong with it. I don't know what her last scene was in the movie, but it feels like after the whole, like, do you want to answer an argument, that's kind of the last big time. Yeah, she's around during the party her. scene, but it, it yeah, she's, that feels like, I mean, it feels like she her character exists to put that idea in her in head, yeah, Margo's yeah. head, and then, and then she's kind of gone after that. Exactly. But she was nominated still. She's great. Also, too. Good for her. It was, she ended up getting nominated four straight years in a row. Wow. 1950, 51, 52, and 53, all Best Supporting Actress after this movie. Did she get nominated for Rear Window? No, she did not. Weirdly, oh. that's the year it stops, I think. Wow. Or the year she's, or the year after. She's great in that. She's she is. Good. And that's probably, maybe her most famous movie? I think so. I think so in terms of just like longevity and how it gets seen nowadays. Uh, after the film was released, it was condemned by the National Fire Protection Association. Can you guess why? Bet, I thought I, I thought of Betty Davis smokes in bed. That's when she it. lit up that cigarette in bed. <laughs> I was like, ooh, that's not, that won't fly these days. Disney Disney would put up a, a, a thing on Disney Plus, so a warning. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's like, it's like she's barely awake, too. She's like barely speaking, yeah. like yep. can't form full sentences and then rolls over and lights up a cigarette. Yeah, that, that, that wasn't great. Because it showed characters smoking in bed, they believed this would encourage the public to smoke in bed, which would lead to more fires. Because there, there are numerous occurrences at this point in Hollywood where people would fall asleep smoking in bed and the house would burn down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think even like even in The Last Tycoon, that TV show uh, mm-hmm. on Amazon, I think it's like uh, Matt Bomber's care, or wife's di- death was she smoked a cigarette and fell asleep in bed with it and it burned down the house. I'll ask this because I mean we we've talked about it a little bit with Sunset Boulevard. Also, it came out in 1950 was in a lonely place with Humphrey Bogart, where he's this kind of aging screenwriter. It it feels like 1950 is the year like Hollywood became really meta. Like the, I, mm-hmm. you have three movies the same year. Essentially, some people might argue that All About Eve, like the theater world, is kind of the surrogate for the film world at the time. But it feels like they're all of them are biting and kind of tackling or, or or tearing down the industry, either dealing with ageism or kind of art versus money, in a way. Even even in even in All About Eve, there's this interesting dynamic between the the theater world and Hollywood, and Hollywood mm-hmm. is always kind of seen as like the money maker, and the theaters where the art is. Because Bill Sampson at the very beginning is going off to do a movie and, and Eve kind of has this long speech or 
It's like, why would you want to go to Hollywood when you can do theater? And that's where he has this kind of big speech of like, what what is theater really? Which is also, I actually like that scene too. Because he's just basically kind of like, theater could be anything. But for some reason, people think like, this is the this is the real theater, like the elite of everything. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. What do you feel is ha- like? What do you think is making that happen at that point in 1950? I mean, I think I think Betty Davis is is a great example of what was happening with everybody. I think you're starting to see people like age out of that's interesting classical yeah cla- and, and 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 i mean s- studios did the same thing with writers and with directors everybody was was doing that thing and you were you're on contract and you were just churning out product and i think for like the 30s and 40s it was this period of just like let's make everything we can and and go 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 and and by the 50s you've got people who have been in the industry for 20 years now stopping and going what what have i been doing the last 20 years and uh, I think it really took that amount of time to get some perspective on on that on the studio system. And you're starting to have, I guess, like your big actors from early Hollywood in the 1930s, like coming out of the sound or coming out of the silent era. They're now starting to all age out. They're writers. Mm-hmm. They're actors. They're all beginning to have that. Yeah, it's just I, they're becoming more aware uh, of the industry and how fickle and how dark that could it could be i know wilder Mm -hmm. was really worried with sunset boulevard uh because if he he didn't give the studio all the pages he because he didn't want them to know what movie he was making because he feared they would not let him make sunset boulevard because it was so for the time biting and satirical of hollywood as a industry and as a place and all that yeah, and I think you can also, I mean, you brought up in a lonely place. I think you can also credit like the noir yeah. movement mm-hmm. with kind of opening up the studios to the idea that you could do a darker, more mature movie and it would do well. Um, so, you know, this, we're, we're, we're acting like these movies are completely out of the, the studio system when they were still produced by studios. Yeah. But I think it took I think it took the, the rise of the noir to make people see like, oh, people like dark and gritty. Yeah. People are getting audiences are getting to the point where they don't want Forty Second Street or the Follies yeah. or that sort of thing. They they don't want bright, sparkly, shiny Hollywood. Um, and, and again, you're coming off of World War Two, where like everyone's mindset is completely different. Yeah, but Sunset Boulevard and uh, All About Eve both have bookends. They both start with the ending of the movie, basically. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that intro in this. It's it's real. It feels really fresh. Yeah. Like you've got multiple, uh, you've got multiple uh, narrators kind of in the beginning, and um, you're getting every you get you get all the characters. And I love the way he's, um, uh, oh, what's his Addis- name? George Addison, Sanders Addison. Addison. Yeah. I, yeah, I love the way he's like what you're seeing is in direct conflict with what he's saying. He's talking about how great Eve is and how much everyone loves Eve, and then you're panning around the table being introduced to the main characters and they're all miserable <laughs> they're all just like why am i here and when yeah. everyone starts clapping for her, none of them do karen doesn't margo doesn't the playwright just feels so awkward to be there bill sampson's just trying to light up a cigarette and just like why get get me the hell out of here like no one wants to be there the minor awards as you can see have already been presented Minor awards are for such as the writer and director, 
since their function is merely to construct a tower so that the world can applaud a light which flashes on top of it. And no brighter light has ever dazzled the eye than Eve Harrington. Eve. But more of Eve later. All about Eve, in fact. To those of you who do not read, attend the theater, listen to unsponsored radio programs, or know anything of the world in which you live, it is perhaps necessary to introduce myself. My name is Addison DeWitt. My native habitat is the theater. In it, I toil not, neither do I spin. I am a critic and commentator. I am essential to the theater. And yeah, so and also, again with Sunset Boulevard, both opening narration narrating scenes are done by writers in some way. Screenwriter mm. in uh, Sunset Boulevard and then a film critic in All About Eve. Weirdly, too, because this both films handle narration perfectly. But I can tell you right now is that if you do both those narrations nowadays, nowadays they probably would not fly. Yeah. Because I know when I, I don't know how you would do if you felt this way. When, when I would read scripts and I'd read narration, I'd be like, oh, no, here we go. Because narration is so hard to pull off. And usually it's some sort of they're trying to be Sunset Boulevard or trying to be all about Eve. Like a movie that has mm-hmm. multiple narrators nowadays just always feels weird to me. But yeah. somehow it's able to establish that in the opening scene and you're not confused by it. You're totally aware of what's happening and it totally makes sense. What worked? What else worked about this film that we haven't discussed? We've talked about how sharp the script oh, yeah. is. Yeah, I kind of blew it with the with the voiceover two minutes before we were oh, really fine. to talk about that's it. That's fine. But yeah, it, it completely works here. Um, I I think my my favorite decision in the whole movie, I think what makes this movie a classic and what could have broken it, is that we don't see Margot or Eve act on stage. Yep. I think that is the, the crucial decision of this movie. Because, uh, I mean, Betty Davis is the stronger actress, period. Ann Baxter is great at doing this, like... I mean, she's great at what she's doing. She's not very dynamic, but she's nailing the, like, innocent, doe-eyed girl who has a dark side. Yeah. Like, she's, she hits it. But I don't think that, given... Put on stage in a dress, like, you know, they're, they're wearing that, like, hoop skirt or whatever they're doing. I don't think she would have held a candle to Betty yeah, Davis. Yeah, I, I don't, believe, so, I don't so, believe them playing the same role and her being better. Yeah, yeah. So, so they... they luckily they make the call to just not make you have to see that at all and i think it works perfectly i love the scene when margo shows up and and eva's just had her big break which was auditioning which was reading with marilyn monroe in her audition and everyone is just coming out of it raving and you you just you get you get it what is important in this movie is not who's the better actress it's it's who can win everyone over it's about the politics And and so they, they don't even bother showing you who's the better yeah, actor. Because we know. Yeah, we know yeah. it. It's, it's, it's Margaret. Yeah. And the only time you really see anyone acting on stage is in rehearsal for uh uh Footsteps in the Ceiling, where she's mm-hmm. where she's where where Ann Baxter or with where, where Eve is playing Cora and you see rehearsal, but it's all over narration. So you're not hearing yeah. the acting, and mainly it's there to show the director and writer arguing with one another over what Eve should be doing in the scene. And and I think as far as what worked, I, I also like to think of what worked as like what holds up. Yeah. And and I think the the relationship, uh, I mean, the three main characters in this movie being 
strong female characters and the and the kind of evolving relationship between the three of them absolutely holds up i think that's part of the reason why this movie feels so fresh is because it was very cutting edge at that time for for strong female characters for better you know for better or for worse eve is a very strong female character she's she's not in a not in a great way um but uh it's still you know the 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 hero the villain and and the the sidekick are all female in this movie and 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 i love the the karen's like kind of evolving allegiance throughout the movie karen is really i think we see a lot of the movie through karen's eyes she's she's the outsider from the theater world she's the person we can relate closest to and she's also the one who is duped by eve a little bit longer than margo because i think we as the as the audience are also kind of when when margo starts turning on eve we really haven't as the audience been given any reason to turn on her yet and uh and so our our journey with how we see eve is really closer to karen's than it is margo's you know i've been going over our financial condition if you'll pardon the expression that's quite a change of subject what with taxes coming up and since I'm a playwright and not an oil well operator, well, I've been thinking... I'm trying hard to follow you. If, instead of waiting until next season to do footsteps on the ceiling, which is in pretty good shape, and if Margot can be talked into going on tour with Aged in Wood, we could put footsteps into production right away. I'm beginning to catch up. If we can cast it properly, that is. Maybe get some younger actress for the part. Someone who'd look the part as well as play it. You've got to admit it'd be a novelty. Now you're quoting Addison, or Eve. Eve did mention the play, but just in passing. She never asked to play a part like Cora. She never had the nerve. Eve would ask Abbott to give her Costello. (laughs) No, I got the idea myself while she was talking to me about the play. With gestures, of course. For once, to write something and have it realized completely. For once, not to compromise. Lloyd Richards, you are not to consider giving that contemptible little worm the part of Cora. Now, just a minute. Margot Channing's not been exactly a compromise all these years. Why, half the playwrights in the world would give their shirts for that particular compromise. Now, just a minute. It strikes me that Eve's disloyalty and ingratitude must be contagious. All this fuss and hysteria because an impulsive kid got carried away by excitement and the conniving of a professional manure slinger named DeWitt. She apologized, didn't she? On her knees, I've no doubt. Very touching, very Academy of Dramatic Arts. That bitter cynicism of yours is something you've acquired since you left Radcliffe. That cynicism you refer to, I acquired the day I discovered I was different from little boys. Because you have the scene where, which comes back important at the very end, where where Margot sees Eve like holding her dress up to the mirror on stage and pretending to be her. In the moment, you're just seeing this as a young girl who's like, just like fantasizing. Yeah, she idolizes her. But with Margot, that's kind of the beginning of, oh, who is this girl? And she starts to have doubts. So you don't fully, I mean, I really don't think you fully get that that, that Eve is a, a, a sociopath until the scene with Karen in the bathroom at the restaurant when she finally lays her cards out. Of, we get a little preview when she tries to seduce Bill, but... Um... But she kind of like brings it back real quick. She has that moment where she breaks, and yeah. we're like, "Oh, that's not the Eve that we know." But yeah, that that moment with with Karen in the bathroom is when you're really like, "Oh man, everything she does is 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 a plan." Like it's calculated, and she's basically saying, "Oh, Margaret, Margaret wouldn't want to know that you that you 
you basically emptied the car out of gas that which didn't allow her to show up to the show which allowed yeah, which yeah, allowed blackmailing her <laughs> blackmailing her with the fact that she helped her like, yeah <laughs> i'm gonna tell margo that you did me a favor <laughs> and 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 establish my career and then what's so it's the it's the irony that's, that's so funny of when karen's been this whole scene's building up to karen's gonna have to tell her husband who's the playwright hey go with eve over margo and so karen is from the walk from the bathroom to the table she is just like how am i gonna do this this is terrible i'm betraying my best friend what is wrong with me and then margo's just like you know what guys i'm gonna stay in this role and you cast someone else as cora and karen just can't help but laugh because it's just like wow all this kind of for nothing in a way yeah like eve, eve just showed her hand and and she didn't have she'd to, have to ultimately like think about this is that if eve doesn't show her hand do you have the huge george sanders conversation at the end where he confronts her i don't think you have it in the same no, degree no no because i mean it, uh, he's got that great I, I don't know i don't have the lines memorized specifically okay. but 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 when he says you know you can't fool me like you fooled those those i think he calls them kids yeah something like that uh, yeah that group of kids that you hang out with or something like that. Um, I mean, it, it takes, it takes Eve being at this point where everyone else has turned on her, except Addison. He's the only one who is in her corner and he has to establish, Hey, I don't like you. <laughs> We're both here for our careers and I could ruin you. Yeah. Um, and it takes that to like break Eve and just show her like, you know, everyone i think i think what eve ultimately has to learn is that everyone in this industry she thought there was something special about how cold and calculating she was yeah and it takes her learning that that everyone is that way except maybe this little group of four which that is something special that we learn that they like maybe truly care about each other yeah um with margo and bill and karen and i don't know maybe lloyd i don't know how we're ultimately supposed to feel about lloyd in the end I got a big one for this. Did anything not work? Oh, oh, I'm interested in your big one. Um, yeah. I don't know. You take it. I don't. I don't have anything that like sticks out to me. The big thing that doesn't stick that doesn't work for me, and I think why this ends up putting Sunset Boulevard over this film to me at this year. The visual style is very bland. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. It's like when I was watching it, and I was like, this script is so damn good why why does it feel so like yeah i think i think it could have been paired with a with a different director he's he's yeah. obviously an incredible screenwriter but yes um... and i was just like it's just it's like and the, the and the scene that gets it it's the scene when addison and eve are in new haven and they're walking from the theater back to the hotel and it's this like kind of janky rear projection mm -hmm. and they're walking and i was just like you could have shot this on a back lot yeah. like easily just shoot a walk and talk it like people were doing that in 1950 it's fine but it's so it's weird seeing like a rear projection when you haven't seen it anytime before like in that movie before then mm -hmm. it's the only time you really see it where it really stands out and even when watching like when they're in the rooms i'm like the production design kind of feels it it all feels very stagey yeah and I do think he can block for camera, but the camera's not really dynamic with the blocking, if that makes sense. Like, I, and, and what was so funny, 
was that I was watching a, a documentary on the on the Blu-ray for all about Eve. And I was watching one of the things on Mankiewicz. They go, yeah, he got a lot of flack for not being considered a visual director. I'm like, okay, cool. It's yeah. not just me that thinks this. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that Roger Ebert, the review for, that Roger Ebert, he brings up um, he brings up Sunset Boulevard. And he's like, obviously, Wilder is the stronger director here, without a doubt. Yeah. Wilder, and I don't, I, Wilder just had a better sense of, of the visual medium than, than Mankiewicz did in this film. And so I, and I don't know if it was the cinematographer. I don't know if it was the production design, like everything just, that's what I feel like if it was better visually and all about Eve is still considered a classic today and it's still talked about, I think all about Eve would be discussed even more. So mm-hmm. if it just has a little bit better visual aesthetic aesthetic, it'd be better. It, it would be talked about more to this day. That's my big one. Yeah. I back you there. Alternate universe cast. A lot of names. A lot of names. The big one, Clat Colbert was cast in the film as Margot, but she had to drop out due to a back injury she received during the filming of Three Came Home, and that's why Davis was hired two weeks before filming. Uh-huh. Ann Baxter was cast as Eve because she looks more like Claudette Colbert. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And it was going to play with the fact that she's essentially trying to become Margot Channing. Mm-hmm. That's why it going to look similar. Barbara Stanwyck was the favorite choice by Daryl Zanuck to play Margot, but was not available. That that would have worked well. I would have. That would have. Marlena Dietrich was considered at one point, but they did not cast her because she was too German, was the lines they said. I I would not have been on board with that. Yeah. I, I don't think she's the strongest actor. And and not, not for being German, but I... I I, I really like her in, in things that she has played in, but yeah. Um, but yeah, she's she's not someone I would go to for a, a heavy role like this, for sure. I agree. Uh, two other actresses considered for the film, Joan Crawford and Ingrid Bergman. Wow. Ingrid Bergman. I, I don't know. I don't know that I would have liked Ingrid Bergman in this. I, I love Ingrid. She's one of my favorite actresses. I don't know that I would have liked her in this. Bergman was apparently, I think, just like started seeing Rossellini and was in Italy and would not leave Italy for it, hmm. is what I read. Ann Baxter, not the original choice for Eve. Jean Crane, an actress who the year before received an Oscar nomination for a film called Pinky, was cast in the role of Eve, but had to drop out because she became pregnant. Hmm. So, they, so they hired Eve or uh, Ann Baxter, who had just won an Oscar for the razor's edge a few years before also rumored. She was apparently rumored. Don't know how true it is. Rumored for two roles in this movie, Nancy Davis, also known as Nancy Reagan, Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan's wife was rumored for Eve and rumored for Karen Hmm. at one point. Maybe Karen. I could have seen her as Karen. And then weirdly, Ronald Reagan was considered for bill. Nah, nah, Ronald Reagan was never Ronald Reagan was never an actor I looked at and was like, oh, he could play a That's Broadway the guy. director. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John Garfield also uh, talked about for that. Uh, for Addison, Jose Jose Ferreira. Yeah, absolutely. Was was a uh, rumor for that. Uh, for Marilyn Monroe's part, Zsa Zsa Gabor was considered, who was at that point married to George Sanders. Well, there you go. Also, this is the big one. Angela Lansbury 
Oh, wow. For Marilyn Monroe's character. Uh, only character that was like really the first choice, Thelma Ritter. Boom. The role was specifically written for her. Nailed it. Uh, other interesting info. few things. Or original title for the film, Best Performance. Hmm. Producer Dale Zanuck cut the script down by 50 pages. Wow. Because he felt Mankiewicz lacked subtlety or provided excessive details in the script. Excellent cuts, I gotta say. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. And the movie is still like two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. If that 50 extra, 50 extra pages were in there, Jesus. Yeah, but I love I love what subtext is in here. So, so to learn that that's made by edits is pretty fascinating. Uh, the story was turned into a musical called Applause, which is the, what we talked about earlier. Uh, originally starred Lauren Bacall as Margot, was later replaced by Ann Baxter, hmm. making the full transition of E becoming yeah. Margot. Uh, film was later adapted into a play that came out, I think last year is what it was, with uh, Lily James as Eve, Jane Anderson as uh, as Margot. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sarah Siddons Award, I don't know if I pronounced that name right, Sarah Siddons Award, the fictitious award that Mankiewicz made up for the film at the beginning of the movie. In 1952, a small group of theater goers began give, giving that award out in Chicago and they still do it to this day. <laughs> they give it out to, to, to like an actor who has performed in the Chicago area for the year. Betty Davis has won it. Uh, and I think Ann Baxter has won it. Uh, yeah. Last, nice. last one I saw was 2018. Uh, that's it on other info. Story questions. Okay. Kind of some big ones. And, and I want, I want to, See what we think about this. This is kind of on our uh, internet theory with this. Is Eve a lesbian? Uh, I mean, I think there's definitely some Hayes Code subtext. I think I think Eve is 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 probably uh, I'd say bisexual. Okay. I think I think ultimately Eve, and, and if we're talking about her being a complete sociopath, I think Eve is just the kind of person that will tell whoever whatever they need to hear to get her way man yeah. or woman um but i think there's definitely some kind of of you know psychosexual relation between her and and margo for sure because one that people bring up online it's just saying we haven't talked about yet uh is the ending scene yeah where the phoebe. young woman you know, when phoebe is was essentially it's the revolving door it's mm -hmm. now this young woman has stalked Eve, has wound up in her apartment, and she's like very like not worried <laughs> about this young woman in her apartment, which she should probably recognize is basically her. Mm -hmm. That it's her like a year before, and that's the whole. Also, in terms of visually, to bring this up, I meant this earlier. The best shot in the entire movie is the last shot of the film. Yeah, with all the mirrors. With all the mirrors of the of now Phoebe is in Eve's dress and is holding the award that she just won, and it's like, oh, it's this is this is uh, a, a a vicious cycle, I guess you could say. It's it's now going to repeat, and now this person is going to try to. She's ambitious and young and wants to be an actress, and so now she's going to use her her kind of charm to become what eve became but eve, eve handles it very differently than say margot does when eve comes into her dressing room mm -hmm. eve is very just like 
cool. I'm going to lay on the couch now. Oh, that train's going to take a while. Just stay here for the night. You know the Eve Harrington clubs that they have in most of the girls' high schools. I've heard of them. Ours was one of the first, Erasmus Hall. I'm the president. Erasmus Hall. That's in Brooklyn, isn't it? Well, lots of actresses come from Brooklyn. Barbara Stanwyck and Susan Hayward. Of course, they're just movie stars. You're going to Hollywood, aren't you? Mm-hmm. From the trunks you're packing, you must be going to stay a long time. I might. That spill drink's gonna ruin your carpet. Maid will fix it in the morning. I'll just clean up the mess. Don't bother. How'd you get up here from Brooklyn? Subway. How long does it take? Oh, with changing and everything, a little over an hour. It's after one now. You won't get home till all hours. I don't care if I never get home. That's the door. You rest. I'll get it. Anyway, and the next question, is Addison gay? I think that's I think that's definitely more closely hinted at. Um, yes. Through, throughout. Um, which, I mean, might have been. I don't, I don't know the social context enough, but maybe that's just like a theater critic stereotype or what, because I, yeah. was, I was picking up on... on and he wasn't necessarily a theater critic, but I was picking up on very similar energy from Burt Lancaster's character in, in Sweet Smell of Success. But yeah, I, and I think it's ultimately, I think a lot of that, the feeling you get of that is the fact that he's he's someone who always shows up to the party with a new attractive girl on his arm and then immediately sends, sends them out to seduce someone else. He, yeah. He's someone who recognizes the power of attractive young women on the theater scene without without succumbing to it in any way uh and and so that's that's definitely i think the you know within within the hayes code and within queer theory and the, the reading of of uh you know queer messages within hayes code i think that that's definitely a a very often used device in, in depicting kind of queer characters is is uh yeah. men who are able to manipulate women and not be manipulated by them at all because yeah. that, that was fairly rare in in movie at, at that time um so yeah i i think that's definitely much more closely hinted at than um than the eve one for sure and it's kind of kind of people some people consider it kind of like an early version of queer cinema because of that and also some people kind of uh use kind of the campiness to the movie Mm-hmm. Like especially just Betty Davis, so kind of brash and bold and honest is what's kind of considered using that kind of idea as well. Um, yeah, Sanders plays it like it's I'm not gonna I mean it's I'm not gonna be fooled by you woman. Like it's mm-hmm. just very like, and he's never using anything for a sexual advance in some way. Like even the whole scene. Like if you put that the scene when he confronts Eve about who she is and the blackmail you can flip that and it becomes the whole blackmail for sex thing. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a more weirdly, a more modern story. Um, and it becomes like a Harvey Weinstein type thing, but instead he's using it as a way to benefit his career. Yeah. Not, not about a sexual, uh, encounter. Yeah. And I mean, and it, you know, it's unfortunate to say, but I think in this depiction in, in the 1950s depictions of, 
of the film industry or of the Broadway industry, if you have a man who's not sleeping with the star of his show, uh, then then the message being sent out was that they were queer in some way. Uh, but I mean, if you if you look at Bill as the director of the show, sleeping with his star and 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 Lloyd's married, I mean that that's you know the idea of the confirmed bachelor. Um, yeah, I think is it's it's definitely the message being sent about Addison. Yeah. And uh, and Lloyd and Karen sleeping in separate beds. Oh yeah, can't show that. <laughs> uh, On to the awards. The Beatrice Strait Award, an actress or an act or actor with limited scenes but still kills it. I, mean, I think we got to give it to Thelma Ritter, right? She got a yeah. She got an Oscar nomination out of being in like less than half of the movie. Yeah, I mean you can you could throw in Marilyn Monroe if you want to. Yeah, I I I, I might actually give it to Marilyn Monroe. See, I, I'll go with I'll go with Thelma Ritter. Because I, I think she just, she gets it. But, but I mean, Monroe Mon- has even more concentrated screen time. And you're just like, I mean, it, it, you can you can easily imagine being a, a film exec sitting and down and watching that movie and going, yes, that that's who, <laughs> that's who, get get her on the phone right now. Yeah, when she, when she drops off her coat, when she's at the party and like reveals this like kind of hourglass figure in this like 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 sleek white dress and she just like again turns it on where she just like brings up her shoulders and then just like sashays to this dude yeah to, like, yeah i mean that that's 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 the him. ultimate that's the ultimate marilyn monroe thing right is that she was like yes she's like a pinup uh like incredible gorgeous person but she also like had this weird ironic sense of humor about it yeah and that was that was her persona and and it's it's so incredibly on display here and in, sh- in such a quick amount of time it's it's this like okay. self self-knowing like wink and nod at, at what kind of character she's playing you're you're swaying me you're swaying yeah. me yeah i think i think i just think it's it's you know the, in the same way that i love like you, yeah we've talked about like the first movie from an auteur is like pure unadulterated yeah like auteur like it's it's wild that you can get like that she was able to bring her voice into this movie in such a quick amount of time. You remember Miss Caswell, don't you? I do not. How do you do? We've never met. Maybe that's why. Miss Caswell is an actress, a graduate of the Copacabana School of Dramatic Art. Ah, Eve. Good evening, Mr. DeWitt. I had no idea you two knew each other. This must be, at long last, our formal introduction. Until now, we've only met in passing. That's how you met me, in passing. Eve, this is an old friend of Mr. DeWitt's mother, Miss Caswell, Miss Harrington. Miss Caswell, how do you do? Addison, I've been wanting you to meet Eve for the longest time. It could only have been your natural timidity that kept you from mentioning it. You've heard of her great interest in the theater. We have that in common. Then you two must have a long talk. I'm afraid Mr. DeWitt would find me boring before too long. You won't bore him, honey. You won't even get a chance to talk. Claudia, come here. You see that man? That's Max Fabian, the producer. Now, go and do yourself some good. Why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? Because that's what they are. Now, go and make him happy. The Joe Pesci X Factor Award, a supporting actor or actress who just, like, basically steals the show mm-hmm. or comes close to it. Who do you give that to? Huh, that's a that's a tough one. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say George Sanders for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'll back you there. Yeah, I just think... Uh, the end the scene with eve is the big one where i'm like cool this dude just like has been pl- he's also been plotting the entire time yeah 
Yeah, he's he's the only male character that can hold his own in any way with the, with the with the female characters in this movie. I agree. I think that I think you're four. It's like a kind of a four pronged story where you have it's Karen, it's Margot, it's uh, it's uh, Addison, and it's Eve. Those mm-hmm. are your four people, and you're seeing Eve's story through the eyes of Addison, Karen, and Margot. So I'll go with George Sanders, uh, the Gene Hackman MVP, uh, a person involved in the production that basically carries the movie through. It's got to be Betty Davis. Yep. It's got to be. I agree. I mean, not much you can say. She's amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just damn good. Delivers the like so many great barbs. Like she just can deliver that sharp dialogue so well mm-hmm. in this movie. Uh, final questions. We'll start with this one. If it was remade today, who do you cast? All right, I got the main four. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Who do you want to hear first? You you tell me. I've I've got them planned out already. Who do you want? Which to, which four do you have? You have Karen. Well, who, yeah, Mark. we just talked about the main. Yeah. Go with go with Karen first. Karen, uh, Rose Byrne. Okay, I I'm down with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Addison. Addison, Danny Houston. Danny Houston would kill this role. Okay. I, I can see that. I love, I can I've see been Danny team Houston. Danny Houston for, for years. <laughs> uh, he's one of my favorite like modern character actors. I can, I can see Danny Houston in that role. Okay, okay. Eve. Eve. Laura Harrier. Spider-Man. Black Klansman. Hollywood. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I just really, I think she's got that. In, in Spider-Man, they really had her play up the like teen, like, oh, I don't know what's going on kind of thing, which like lent itself to the storyline of michael keaton and then and then the next thing i saw her in was black klansman where she was playing a black panther and i was like oh okay all right let's go and um yeah i think she can i think she can kind of nail that duality and she's someone who looks i mean i think she's like 29 maybe 30 but she she in spider-man she she they had her playing a 16 year old at at like 25 Um, yeah so i think it, it lends itself to the character of eve to just kind of look at her and be like are you 18 or 28 i have no idea um okay yeah i'd, I'd be really I'd, I'd excited to see her in this role i buy that uh, uh margo all right there's there's honestly I, I sat and thought about this one for a while and there was one person that i, I have one i have one person so you all go right. ahead kate blanchett let me tell you what mine was yeah kate winslet oh no nah, no nah. <laughs> nah dude you gotta go blanchett I see Blanchett in this. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Blanchett is a little bit more acidic. You know, she. she I agree. I I agree with that. Like she can, she's sarcastic and she can be. She's like, like I I don't know. She's just like she's hurting people's feelings and she she enjoys it. Like that yeah. is, she can one hundred percent do that. I love when she does that. I'm okay. I'm okay. I like that. Okay. I'll stick with these. Um, does this film fit with any other genre? Uh, hmm. I don't know. I think this one is like out and out a theater movie. Like you can't, yeah. you, the only other thing you could, it's, it's a showbiz movie. The only th- other thing you could place it in is like a hot, like you could, you can make this filmmaking and it would kind of work, but like ev- yeah. everything within the like soul of this movie is about showbiz. Yeah. Um. So I think, I think it is one that, you know, of all the ones we've talked about, I think is one that is like essential, essentially theater. Yeah. I mean, straight dra- drama is the only thing yeah i think you could say um but yeah i did i did this theater 
Uh, how does this film fit in the theater genre? Oh, well, there we go. We just covered some of that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's it, well, and it's funny that we were talking about in the last episode, we talked about all these all these movies that approach theater in a different way, but ultimately give you like the show at the end. Yeah. And this this is one that is not concerned about the show. It is concerned completely about the offstage politics. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but I think it, this is probably one of the best movies out there to summarize those those politics. It it still it captures the whole fading star diva rising star aspect of it, but turns it a little bit on its head. Um, yeah. and yeah, it, it does, knows exactly what expectations you're bringing into it, and it plays with them. I mean, you're coming off a few uh, uh, after a few movies of a star is born. You're expecting just her to be discovered, and that happens. She's just discovered, and she's good friends with Margot, and for some reason, Margot's career takes a downward spiral, but Eve's goes up. Instead, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm trying to take this person down so I can have their spots. And this person's like, I know people are coming for me. I'm not ready to go yet, so I'm Mm -hmm. going to figure this out. Like It's very much like as we've said, it plays with your expectations, like you just said, of what you're expecting from these tropes. And it does it in a new way. It doesn't have the act three, uh, put on a show, sadly, but I, I mean, I don't know how you would do that. Like, yeah. I, I you just, don't, you don't need, I think it would only, it would only undermine what was, what's happening here. It's not important to their, like you said, it's, it's this is, and this is what Mankiewicz would do. And this goes with kind of the why he was not a visual director. He was more interested in like characters and character conversations and like digging into who they were. And he kind of felt like the visual style took away from that. Mm-hmm. So, but there you go. All about Eve. What a movie. Go watch it. If you can rent it on Amazon Prime while you saw any kind of a major streaming or like streaming or cable provider or whatever worth a watch if you've never seen it yeah really really fun i hadn't seen it since high school so it was think, it was like watching it new for the first time i think it was the the article we we both read from IndieWire that said this is the the bitchiest movie ever made or something like that. yeah yeah it's a lot of fun that's all we have for you today make sure you like and subscribe to us on our podcast spotify now on stitcher like us on facebook twitter instagram and medium yeah, we have two more episodes coming up. Our next episode, we're going to be delving into Birdman and seeing how it kind of relates to All About Eve. I haven't revisited Birdman since I saw it in theaters. I haven't either. I th- and we saw it together, if I'm not, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yep. So yeah, it's it's been a while. It's Now I can really kind of can say, what was better, Birdman or Boyhood? <laughs> we'll find out next week. Uh, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on, as always. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.